Corinthians, as I continue to speak on generosity, uh, as Paul calls it, the grace of generosity, he uses it as a spiritual gift. And it's interesting, as we've been going, this is our third week in a row, we're speaking out of this text and speaking on the gift of generosity and what it means to really give from the heart uh, to God's work. It's actually a mission trip, so to speak, taking place in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. I'll read verses 1 to 15. I'll make some comments as I did last week. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that, as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as I excel, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this manner I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desired to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness, as it is written. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Father, teach us the marvelous work of the Holy Spirit on our hearts to be generous, to give, to help, to feed, to clothe, to shelter others, Father God, close by and far off, Father God. Teach us to be magnanimous, generous, caring, compassionate Christians with every resource, every gift, and every talent you have given us corporately as a church and individually as believers, Father God. Help us, Father God, to overcome any selfishness we might have, Father God, that we can enter into this great kingdom work, Father. For the whole world is a mission, Father God, close at hand and far off. Help us to understand the principles Paul is laying out here, Father God, when it comes to being generous in the kingdom of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we're speaking about generosity, we're not just talking about giving. Giving is just meeting a need. But when the Bible's talking about generosity, it's it's something that overflows out of the heart that God already put in us. Generosity in the spirit is not something that you have to 
try to find. It's, it's a spontaneous act. And as we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, many people don't know, and what Paul is talking about here, about the Macedonian church, he's encouraging the Corinthians about this spontaneous uh, self-discovery of joyful giving out of their resources. And we spoke a couple of weeks ago how Paul used the church, the Macedonian church, as an example of extreme generosity. But there's something about this church Paul also had to tell us and tell them is that they were extremely poor. They were a poor, poor church. And when Paul bring it to their attention that there was a relief fund going on for those who were in Jerusalem, he didn't think much about it, but they, they were eager to give to this relief fund. And a matter of fact, Paul says they gave beyond even his expectation, the apostles' expectation. He couldn't believe how much they gave. And as I spoke about these two chapters, they really go together. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 are a unit. They should be read as a unit. And we've done that for the last two weeks. I'm not going to do that again today. But as a unit, we see Paul touch upon one of the most sensitive subjects there are, and that's given financial aid. It's a very sensitive subject. And today is no different than it was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, charlatans were everywhere. Everyone had knowledge, everyone had a teaching, everybody had a philosophy, everybody had a religion, there were cults all over the place, and they did it for a fee. They did it for an offer. Paul's very sensitive in his teachings about giving, and as I shared a couple weeks ago, and I'll reiterate it again, Paul, if anybody was going to teach on command of giving, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But we can see Paul so sensitive, like a surgeon, making sure that when he speaks upon giving, he never, ever, ever oversteps his boundaries. And he lets the, the one Christ died for to make it up in their own mind how to give. It's magnificent when you see how Paul addresses this. He doesn't get in the way of the saver and the sinner saved by grace and makes a command. He, he, he just offers Christ as an example on how to give. Uh, we spoke about this the last two weeks. There's no arm twisting. There's no guilt. There's no false promises. There's no threat. There's no violation to the all-sufficient, all-law-fulfilling sacrifice of Christ. There's no, well, if you don't give, there's something wrong. He never, ever touches upon this. It's, it's a magnificent apostolic touch to encouraging people, God's people, to give to a need. I'm not going to go over all the points. There's just two points I want to make tonight. Uh, and we're going to speak more in the weeks to come on this. Out of this text, I encourage you to read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and really see just how beautiful a portrait it is on the generous heart that gives to the Lord because God loves a cheerful giver. I do want to speak a little more about this. And we're going to start in verse 7 and 8. Paul says this, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. It's interesting how Paul calls uh, financial aid here as an act of grace. Generosity is an act of grace. And he compares it with the other graces that God gave this church. This church was extremely gifted in preaching. 
It was extremely gifted in the, the revelatory gifts of prophecy and the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. The gift of healing was in this church. This church was truly blessed. They had a zeal to tell others about Christ. But Paul says, though, you're doing so well in all these other areas. And we covered this last week. He says, excel in this area also. This is a grace. In this act of grace also. And he goes on to say, I don't say this as a command. Though he could have commanded. So I don't say this as a command. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. You know, Paul supplements the intangibles of faith, of preaching, of all these revelatory gifts, the gifts of healing, uh, the zeal to tell others about Christ and evangelism. He says you're excelling in all these areas, but now we have to get down to some practical issues here. Sometimes we have to have skin in the game. Sometimes we have to get down to the heavy lifting of practical financial support to the needy. And that's what he's doing here. He's not commanding them. He's just reminding them that when Christ came and saved you, Everything we have belongs to him. Everything we have is at his disposal. And Paul is reminding him of this. And he says something here very interesting. He says, I don't say this as a command, but to prove. It means to test. It means to examine. In the Greek. And Paul puts a litmus test of someone's genuine faith in Christ. Someone's genuine love in Christ. And he puts it in a tangible, practical way of meeting the needs of others. We spoke out of 1 John 3 last week. That if you see your brother who has needs and you have the world's gifts and don't meet your brother's need. Then how can you say you have love? How can you say you really met God if you don't meet the needs of others? Now, of course, in a practical sense, we try to do that in our, in our own church. We do that. We do that in our own community. We do that within our own family. But Paul is speaking to a church of Gentiles that are 1,500 miles away from the Jews. There couldn't have been a more of a, a cultural rift between these two. But yet they're making an attempt to meet the needs of people they will never, ever see. And as John goes on a mission trip, and we try to meet needs and missions trips, you know, we are called to meet the needs of people we might never, ever see. And I ask this question. It's a question I ask myself. At the end of the week, when we are paid, when we do have a salary, we have to ask ourselves, and I ask myself as a church and as a pastor, how much of my money makes it into the stomach of someone else. How much of what God has given me makes it onto the back of someone else? Out of the resources God has given me, how much of that goes to shelter someone who has no shelter? To give a Bible to someone who doesn't have a Bible? To give hope to somebody who does not have hope? How much do we have actually makes it to people we'll probably never see? They'll never be able to thank us, but but, but praying for us. How much do what we have 
make it into the needs of other people? That's a question we all need to ask, because that's what Paul's doing. He's not commanding. He's encouraging, by the genuine work of the Spirit of God in him, to be faithful in this act of grace also. And he calls it a proof of their love. There's one thing to say, I love God. But to say I love God is only one side of one commandment. There's not two commandments. There's, you love the Lord God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. And when you do that, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And to meet genuine needs in the most practical of ways. And again, I am reiterating some things I spoke about the last couple of weeks, but... John's heart, my heart, and the leadership's heart of this church is that we want people to understand this deep joy of spontaneous generosity. We want you to know that. It's not about just getting someone to do something. It's about someone knowing this abundance of joy, of taking what you have that belongs to you, that God has given you, and blessing other people with that. Of course, we bless the church. We bring our tithes and offering to the church. The church needs to be financially healthy. We're going to speak about that as the weeks go on. But in this case, we are to meet many needs. Many needs. Paul here is speaking to the born-again heart. He's laying at the conscience of the born-again Christian the needs of other people. Give out of what you have. Not out of what you don't have. And I spoke about that last week. Again, I just love the way Paul approaches this most sensitive of subjects. It's magnificent. He leaves it at the conscience of the Christian. It's between them and their God. Each Christian knows what God has given them. And each Christian should make a commitment to God. As Paul says, a portion. Hold it aside for the offering. When it comes to giving, biblical giving, there's four things we need to know. I spoke about a couple of these things. A genuine love for God. That's the most important. If we're giving out of pretense, if we're giving out of a command, if we're giving out of a rival spirit, a competitive spirit, whatever, or we think we're going to get something out of God, like he's a Coke machine, if we're giving out of that, then God says it's not accepted. Paul used the word accepted here. We need a love for God. We need a love for others. We need role models. And as Paul says here, as Jesus' example, we need good theology. You can't beat someone into the submission of giving. All you have to do is explain redemption and Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't move the Christian to give, please understand something. Nothing ever will. If we're given out of any other reason than what Christ has done for us, By making us rich in the spirit, we are rich with the intangible things of heaven. We're freed from the curse of sin. We're freed from the power of sin. We are now free to love. We are free to be generous. I am free. I know what it is to be forgiven. Not to be forgiven, but to forgive people. We're empowered to forgive. These are the intangibles that God, these are the riches that God has made us. He's taught us to be compassionate and kind and gentle, to have a self-controlled mind, not to be tossed tossed to and fro by every sinful impulse. We're strong in Christ. Those are the values. I'm going to speak about that in a couple of weeks. 
But that's what moves the Christian to give. Reminding us daily, weekly, what Christ has done for us and what he has given us. In this way, Paul says, you prove your love for God by meeting needs. We should be a church that meets needs. We should be a church that's meeting not just the needs of the people in the local church. We should meet the needs of other churches. We should meet the needs of those who are abroad. We should meet the needs of missionaries. I want you to know we do all that. We should also take it upon ourselves personally to meet needs. And I'm going to speak a little bit about that. I want to speak about another lesson here before we close. I want to speak about the big picture. And that's found in verses 14 and 15. 13, 14, and 15. He says this, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you'll be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time, Corinthians, should supply the needs of the saints in Jerusalem, so that their abundance one day may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written in the book of Exodus, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. You see, Paul's reaching back into the Old Testament story in the Exodus when God rained down manna from heaven for the children of Israel. But they were only to gather just enough. If they took any extra, guess what would happen? It would rot overnight. They weren't allowed to... They were called to take just what they needed and their family needed. No more, no less. And in this is God's fairness. You know, fairness is not a biblical word. You don't hear it. Matter of fact, you only see it in First and Second Corinthians, this fairness. You know, because we don't want God to be fair. If God was fair, guess what? We all go to hell. But God's merciful. God's gracious. And he's compassionate. And he's forgiven. And because of that, we have life in Christ. And so here's how it's working over here. Some Christians are more blessed financially than others, and they should give out of what they have. The Corinthian church that Paul is writing to, he's writing to them, they're a more affluent church than the Macedonian church. The Macedonian church was basically abject poverty. They were dirt poor. They were rooted in poverty. It wasn't like they had a good time, a good season, now they're having a bad time. They never knew prosperity. All they knew was poverty. And all they knew was affliction. They were persecuted for their Christian faith. You would think, being heavily persecuted and extremely poor, that the last thing you would want, expect from them is to give. But yet they gave exuberantly. They gave abundantly. And as we spoke about last week, because Jesus Christ and his sacrifice trumps poverty and it trumps persecution. When Jesus is in the heart, it moves everyone to give something. And so what Paul's saying here, <clears throat> the Corinthians are more affluent than the poverty-stricken Macedonian church, and they should just give accordingly, that's all. The principle from this example is this, is that whether in relationship with friends, relationship with family, especially church and the kingdom of God, Some will sometimes in their life be doing better than others. And out of an act of fairness, we give out of what we have, not out of what we don't have. 
And when those who have give to those who don't have, Paul says this, he who lacks was not hungry, and he who had plenty had nothing left over. Because it's all used in the economy of God. This is kingdom economics 101 by Jesus. It's better to give than what? And that is a lesson that we have to learn again and again. We need to be reminded of it. And there are times in a church's life, there's times in our personal life that we might be doing really well. And that we can really generally reach down deep and be a blessing to other people. Even people we don't know. And then there are other times, you know, we just can't give like we used to give. And guess what? That's fine. We give according to what we have, not according to what we don't have. It's an important lesson that we need to learn in the kingdom of God. Some will always be doing better. Some will always be struggling. But what a blessing it is when the American church and and, and John Nail is the resources we have here today. What we can do with the resources in just this little church to a church who's on the front lines in China or Africa or anywhere in the world, what what we can do with our finances is, is extreme. And we have to. What we make as a church, what we make individually, should genuinely make it into the stomach of a hungry Christian somewhere else. It should support books, education, clothing, housing. And this is a great blessing. This is something every church needs to be up and operating in. Every Christian needs to be involved and given out of what they have, not out of what they don't have. As Paul says here, for the relief of the saints. The importance of this in my own personal life when I first got saved, and and me and my wife, to meet needs is like, I'm so grateful that I was taught to give. Grateful. Because that does not come natural to human nature. And I share this, I remember we went to church maybe five, six, seven weeks, and Terry said, how much did you give? And I said, $20. $20. I was like, yeah, you know, and... But I didn't realize what was in store when God opened up my heart and said, give it all. And that we just gave and we just gave and we never, ever stopped just giving. For me and my wife to give 10% of everything we make is a non-issue whatsoever. It is not a command. I tell you it's not a command, but I would encourage you to think about making a commitment to Christ when it comes to giving. And to know the deep joy We know the great joy of going way above any kind of percentage. We know the great joy of when we had a a raise and it was like, you know, something that, you know, this year, that weekly raise of $67, we're not going to keep it. We're going to put it in a benevolent fund. Not tithes and offering to the church. It's one me and my wife have on the side. We've been doing it for over 15 years. And we put that away every week for people in need. It has nothing to do with giving to the church. This is our own benevolent. We gave that up for the sake of other people. And over the years, we've given that money away to both Christian and non-Christian. 
We've met the needs of others. It has nothing to do with, you're going to come to my church. Nothing to do with it, whether you're a Christian or not. If there's a family in need, if there's a person in need, we want to be able to meet that need to the best we can. Because that's what God does to the heart. I wouldn't understand the Christianity without having this great grace, this great gift of generosity. To me, that would be a very empty, empty walk. I encourage this church, John encourages this church, to know this deep, spontaneous, uh, uh, abundant joy of just saying, God, this is yours. I want to be used to feed the belly of a hungry person on another part of the world. I want to give the resources I have to meet needs. Not out of compulsion, no arm twisting, between you and God, and you say, no, Lord, I want to be that generous Christian. That is the way the scriptures teach us. That is the way Paul is teaching us here. That is the way we've always taught in this church uh, when it comes to giving. As the weeks go on, we're going to speak a little bit more about this. I just want to speak about the two principles today. I spoke about five principles already. I'm going to speak about three more principles out of these two chapters. I spent some, we allowed John to come up today to share his own heart about missions and what it is to give his time and sacrifice, and we were able to meet that. But I want to encourage everybody what Paul's encouraging this church. Even though you excel in other gifts, excel in this gift also, in this grace of generosity. Our prayer is that you generally know the deep joy and the grace of generosity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Father God. We thank you for the report we heard of John today, Lord God, as he went overseas, Lord, and that there is a work going on over there, Father God. And we don't despise the day of small beginnings, Father God. Bless the work that's going on over there. Bless all the work as a church we support now in missions, Father God, and other small churches local here in New York and Philadelphia, Father God. And I pray, Father God, that you can take what we have, And that you can use it to feed a hungry stomach. That you can use it to clothe a whole family. That you can use it to house a family. That that you can use it, Father God, to give a genuine Christian education to a whole family, Father God. Maybe more than one family, Father God. Use what we give to you, Father God. Take the, the broken loaves of bread and the few fishes that we have, Father God, that seem like... Not much to feed fifteen or 20,000 people. We actually bless whatever we give you, Father God. We give out of our abundance, Father God. We give out of what we have, Father, not out of what we don't have, Father God. And I thank you, God, when it comes to giving, Father God, it's that because you gave to us first. That Christ gave himself, Father God, though he was rich, he became poor. That we who are poor in sin would become rich in him, Father God. We thank you that we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ, Father God. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, Father God, that enables us, that encourages us, that motivates us, that stimulates us, Father God, to know this spontaneous, joyful experience of giving generously out of our heart. In Jesus' name.